morning. Mark Barnes. As we uh, open the word, let, let me just pray and ask God that he would make it alive to us this morning. Father God, we come and surround us around your word. Father, it's our desire that you would speak to us this morning through your word in the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us to understand, help us to desire to follow what you have done for us. We ask these things in your son Jesus' name. Happy New Year. It's funny that um, just the turning of one calendar page we know mentally, like, it's just another day, right? But it feels like it's a new beginning. There's a new start. It's a fresh beginning. And, and so in the same way we are starting a new sermon series, um, but it's not. Because we have done the first two chapters of Matthew uh, for Advent, and now we continue with Matthew. But what a beautiful way to continue on this first Sunday of the year because um, it feels like a new beginning is about to happen here in the book of Matthew. So uh, today we're going to take a look at Matthew uh, 3, chapter, uh, verses 1 to 12, and, um, and we got this new guy uh, named John the Baptist, and, and he's coming on the scene and Matthew gives us very little about him. It just starts <clears throat> in, verse, in chapter 3 here. It says, <clears throat> in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. So, so Matthew just goes, okay, here he is, John the Baptist. You all know him, right? Hang on. Now, maybe most of you do, but there's a reason why, and we keep coming back. I want, by the time we get through Matthew, I hope you just like, understand all of these things. Matthew was a Jew. His primary target was Jews. They would, have known Matthew, they would have known John the Baptist, right? And so Matthew's going, hey, I want to get to the message. That's the important part. The rest of the Gospels we see, especially like Luke. Luke is writing to Theophilus. Theophilus is not a Jew. And he goes, okay, hang on. Let me, let me fill you in about this guy named John the Baptist. We're Gentiles. And I know for many of you, you grew up in the church, you go, John the Baptist, got it. But some of you might not know. And so I don't want to just plow into this and go, okay, John the Baptist, I want to go, who is this guy? And so if we look in Luke especially, Luke fills us in, and he tells us that John, his parents were Elizabeth and Zechariah, uh, both from the line of Aaron. Zechariah was a priest. Um, Elizabeth was barren, and they were at an age where having children was pretty much off the table. Zechariah, while he's performing his priestly duties, is met by Gabriel, an angel. <coughs> Excuse me, I am one of those that is coming off the end of a cold, and so you'll notice in my voice a little raspiness today. But he is told that his wife, Elizabeth, is going to have a son. And he's to name him John. Now, this is kind of interesting because how it parallels the Messiah, Jesus, who was, Joseph was told he was, his, Mary was going to have a son and he was to name him Jesus. Now, 
John is also told that his wife is going to have a son, and he is to name him John. And the connection is there's relationship between Elizabeth and Mary. They're relatives. This occurs about six months before Mary is pregnant, and so John and Jesus are related. John is about six months older than Jesus. And listen to this description in in, uh, Luke. Because that's the, the nuts and bolts of who John is. But here is what was told to Zechariah about this boy that his wife was going to have. And you will have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. So make ready for the Lord a people prepared. That's who this guy, John, John the baptizer, John the Baptist, that's who he is. So let me read the first uh, three verses here in Matthew 3 and see why John is here. Why is he? Realize God's silence, 400 years of silence, right? We talked about that between the Old Testament and the New Testament. God had gone silent. There were no prophets, nobody proclaiming, this is what God says. Radio silent for 400 years, and now all of that is about to be broken. John is coming on the scene to be the mouthpiece of God, to be a prophet of God, to proclaim this good news that God is about to re-enter into the lives of his people to proclaim something new. Read with me here in John, uh, Matthew 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John came preaching, it says. Preaching. The word is proclaiming. I'm new at this thing called preaching, right? And, and people have said, what's the difference between preaching and teaching? And I know growing up, I'm like, well, you teach, you preach. Okay, you change the letters a little bit, but it's pretty much the same thing. I have found this to be a very different thing. It's proclaiming. When I teach, I like to interact. I like to have conversation. I like to have people go, oh, hang on, what do you mean by that? What I find is proclaiming from up here is a different thing, and it's hard, it weighs heavy on me, because it feels like I've been given the responsibility of speaking on behalf of God from his word. That is heavy. And here is John preaching, but it's really a proclamation. One <clears throat> translation I read said it's howling. 
Now that might sound a little irreverent, but John is out in the wilderness. He is howling, he is proclaiming that the kingdom of heaven is near. So he tells them, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. This, uh, one of the things that I love working with Stuart and Drew and Mark as we get together and we wrestle through this. Stuart would tell me things like, this word prepare, it's a verb. It's an imperative. It's plural. Now, how many of you know that? Just reading this. Okay? Not me either, right? Um, What does that mean? It's an imperative. It's a command. John is not going, hey, you guys, you should get ready. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's like, no. And as Stuart says, I love this, he would be saying, y'all, y'all need to get ready. You have to do this. Where are you going? Where are you going? Prepare. You need to prepare. The kingdom of God is at hand. Now, I keep mixing up and I say kingdom of God. Matthew doesn't use that term. You notice what he says, the kingdom of heaven. Why did he say kingdom of heaven? Matthew is a what? Jew or Gentile? Jew. Speaking primarily to Jews or Gentiles? Jews. Okay, we're getting it. For a Jewish person, God was held in such high esteem that you did not even write down his name. I was told even that scribes, if they wrote the name of God, when they were writing down scripture and stuff, that utensil that they used to write the name of God was broken in half and put in a special box where it would never be used for anything else again once it had written the name of God. So here's Matthew, a Jew writing primarily to Jews, and he doesn't want to use the word God. So he says, the kingdom of heaven. And they all knew that means God. You'll see in the other Gospels, they use the kingdom of God. Same thing. But notice how how Matthew keeps going, the kingdom of heaven. So, So here it is. John is saying, and notice, John is not saying, I have come. Matthew goes, hey, again, again, again. I'm going to keep pointing back to the Older Testament. I'm going to keep saying, this is happening because of what was foretold. Everywhere we go through the book of Matthew, you're going to see he keeps pointing back, keeps pointing back. Why? He's speaking to Jews. They know their their scriptures, and he wants them to understand that all of this is happening because it has been foretold. And here he is saying, "This, this is the one that was foretold that he would come and announce that we should prepare the way for the Messiah, the King. And the thing that you'll notice is John isn't the one preparing the way. John is the one calling out for us, for those that were gathered there, for them to prepare the way. And the question is, how? Well, John says how. Verse 2, he says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
repent. What does repent mean? I, I want you to get a hold of this today. What does repent mean? Often we think of it as uh, a feeling of remorse or regret, of being disgusted maybe by what we've done or haven't done, and wanting to turn away from it. We pledge to do better. How many have made New Year's resolutions? How many hate New Year's resolutions? Oh, a lot more hands on that one. Why? Because we pledge to do better, but what? We know who we are. And often when we think of repentance, we pledge to do better, and then we fail, and we tell ourselves, God must know that I didn't really mean it. I wasn't really sorry. I am who I am. How could God love me? Can I tell you that is not repentance? That is not what we're called to. That is not what John is calling those people to. The Greek word simply means to have a change of mind or to turn around. And I've heard that over and over, and maybe you have too. It's just a simple definition of turning around. But more accurately, what does it mean? It means to think differently afterwards. It means changing your mind after being with. So it is <clears throat> a change of mind, heart, because you have been convinced of something. I'm going to read some, some things that I read. I kind of mushed them together into some thought and definition. But here, listen to this. To repent means to be convinced of another way. To change your mind or convictions. And in response, to be convinced in your mind and heart to change your actions. Repentance means turning from going your own way and turning towards going God's. Often we think of repentance as just being sorry, emotionally, ah, and you can really feel that, ah, I'm sorry, God, oh, I don't want to do that. Paul says the things that I don't want to do, I end up doing often. I don't want to do that. And we leave it there. That is not repentance. Repentance says it involves your mind, your heart, everything in you being convinced that you need to go a new way, a different way. Turning from your direction towards God's direction. Paul put it this way in Romans 12, and maybe you've, this resonates and you've heard this. But he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. He says, you need to have your minds transformed, and then you will think differently, and your response will be repentance and saying, I don't want that. I do want this. And I'm going to turn towards God. Biblical repentance means responding to God's love, 
by being transformed in your convictions and actions. It means turning towards God and away from whatever dishonors him. Listen to this. I want you to wrestle with it because I did. It, this, is, this is interesting to hear, but I believe it's true. Biblical repentance is not about your emotions, your sin, your efforts, or your resolve. It's about your surrender. Are you willing to surrender everything to the king? That's repentance. In this passage, we're going to see three different groups of people. And you may, if, if, if you've read through this, you may go, I only see two groups. I, I think there's a third group that I'm going to talk about. But we want to see John is <clears throat> proclaiming that they are to repent in preparation for the kingdom of God. Same message, but we're going to see how different people respond to this message. So let me read verses 5 and 6. <clears throat> I'll read 4, 5, and 6. 4 gives an interesting description of John. And really it connects, I think we'll see as we go forward, it connects him with Elijah just this description. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. People from all over the area Jerusalem, but that whole area had heard about John. I think this is why Matthew doesn't even describe him. People knew John. If you lived in that area, that region, you knew who John the Baptist was. And people were all flocking out there. God was speaking. God was speaking, and they were convinced that God has spoken through his prophet, John. And they get out there... <clears throat> And they see this uniquely dressed man standing there telling them that the kingdom of God is at hand. What do we do? Repent. Be baptized. Confess. And here they are going, I need that. I need that. I'm in. Okay, John, I'm in. And think about that. I know for some of you, getting baptized here, indoors, in the warmth, usually it's warm, <clears throat> is scary, okay? Imagine walking down to a river, out among the, the people, and, and, and you're going to walk in and be baptized. Uh, I didn't bring a change of clothes. I, uh, oh. No, they were convinced enough to go, I'm in. They went down, they confessed. What was that confession? I think it was, what does not align with what God wants you to do? I'm going to turn from this. Turn from what? I believe that was confession. I know, God, this does not align with what God desires. I'm turning from that. I'm turning towards God. Maybe you feel like this morning. that God can't love me. 
You go, if God really knew who I was, God can't love me. Maybe you know people that have said that. I do. I want you to listen to what was happening here. These seem to be the people that respond best to God's message. So often when Jesus, when we get to Jesus, he's just about, he's on the doorstep, and next week we're going to see him launch his ministry as he is baptized. Who responded best to John's message, to Jesus' message? It was those that saw their need and were convinced they needed to go another way. That's why we call this the good news, the gospel. Yes, God knows who you are. And yes, he desires for you to turn towards him. So if you're feeling like, if God knew who I was, and I think he does know who I am, so I don't believe he could ever truly love me. I go, no, no, no. This is the good news that says, God says, follow me. Turn, follow me. Let's compare that to the next group. And that's verses 7 to 10. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down. And thrown into the fire. What were the Pharisees and Sadducees doing out there? You ever wonder that? I always kind of figured they're going to, okay, we need to go check out this guy, John, because it seems like a lot of people are following him, listening and responding to what he has to say. I think that might be right. Maybe some were sitting there with tension going, is he right? Is what he says right? I think it was hard for the people that were getting baptized and responding to the message of the kingdom. Because here, standing near them, were the Pharisees. And and are you willing to step down and be baptized while they are looking at you and going, Really? Really? This is what you're going to do. Think of Nicodemus, who was torn, right? He was a Pharisee, and he heard Jesus' message, and he goes, I think that's right. I want to believe that. But can I leave everything that I've held on to so tightly? He meets with Jesus at night. He's this follower undercover for a while and eventually we see him full full heartedly following Jesus but it takes him a while maybe you're here this morning and you go repentance for me seems almost impossible 
And maybe that's because you go, I have a reputation. I've, I've been a part of Awana here for years and years and years. I've taught Sunday school for years and years and years. I've led this group. I've been a part of that group. I've been an elder. I've been a pastor. For me to repent is to say I've been wrong. And I need to turn to God. Are you willing to set aside? And here John is saying, don't claim that you're children of Abraham. God can raise children up from these rocks. Don't claim that you've been here for so many years. Don't claim what you've done and who you are. Is Jesus your king? Are you ready to prepare the way for him to be your king? Are you ready to confess? Are you ready To, to be all in, to repent. I said there's a third group. I'm going to paint with a really big brush right now. Because I know this isn't true. But I know that there are some in the third group. They're the ones that aren't here. I'm sure that there were those in the, this area, in this region, that had heard about John the Baptist. And people may have come back and said, oh, you've got to hear this prophet. The things he says whew, spoke to my heart. Kingdom of heaven is coming. I, I, I decided I needed to change direction. I needed to confess. I needed to repent. And, and I'm, I'm preparing the way for the kingdom of heaven. I'm sure there were those that went, ah, that's a long ways out there, isn't it? I, I don't know if I want to go out there. Uh, I, I, I don't know if I could do that. That's good for you, but I don't know if I could do that. I've heard this, and I think of this when I hear, think about this third group. I know I'm not what God wants me to be, but it feels like I'm good enough. I don't think that's what John was calling them to. Is following Christ for you comfortable? Are you going through the motions? I want you to hear John's words. Because he spoke to the Pharisees and he said, your actions and your response will be deadly if you don't respond to, to this message. The one that's coming... He's going to gather those that don't produce fruit. He is going to throw them in the fire. And your response can be deadly, but he's inviting you to follow. I think this third group, he would say the same thing. If you think following Jesus, and for them, this was preparing the way. But for us, if you think following Jesus is about going through the motion and being comfortable, I think John would say, hey, are you willing to repent? Are you convinced that you need to go a new way? Are you convinced on this, the first Sunday of the new year, that you need to prepare your heart for the kingdom of God? 
John concludes in the last couple verses here in 11 and 12, saying, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John's saying, hey, I'm just the voice, the one in the wilderness saying, prepare the way. There's one coming. I baptize with water. This is just this outward thing that says, hey, yes, I need to change direction. All right, brother, sister, come get baptized. Change direction. He says, but there's one coming after me who baptizes with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I think this fire, there's debate on what that means, but I think he's talking about fire here. I think this is, this is a fire of judgment. And he says he's coming with the Holy Spirit or with judgment. Come on. Prepare the way. The king is coming. So, What does that mean for us? The king has come for us. We are on the backside of the cross, right? We are on the backside. The king has come, and we're going to keep moving through Matthew because we want to get to know this king, King Jesus. But we're on the backside of the cross. He has come. He has died. He has been buried. He rose again. He has ascended to to heaven at the right hand of the Father. So how do we respond to John's message? Let me share a story of the fight that I have about responding to John's message. A few years ago, Kathy and I talked about we want to have a season in our life where we're just available for whatever God wants. My dad retired at age 80. I don't want to retire at age 80. And it's not because I don't want to work, but it's because we have been convinced that we want a a season of, of our life where we are just available for whatever God wants. And so a number of years ago, we started praying about that. And we just said, okay, God, would you show us what you want us to do in this season, and we will prepare for that. My daughter lives in Panama. We've been in Panama a number of times. We've met with agencies down there. Uh, There's an organization that has um, uh, an orphanage for for children with disabilities, first and only one in Panama. Great Christian organization. We really love the the couple that started it. And Kathy being a nurse, we're like, oh, maybe, maybe that's where we're supposed to go. And we've been there several times, and we're like, do you feel God pulling us in that direction? We're like, no. Okay. We've met with some other couples that have in, in post, um, post-working season, they had gone to Greece to help with refugees and, and be the hands and feet of Jesus in those ways. And now we're in Panama teaching um, uh, Latin women English so that they could go into countries where... American women would not be accepted, but they would be. 
And so we've met with them, we've talked with them, we've gone to the classes, we've seen what they're doing, great things. And we said, do you feel God pulling us that way? And we both said, no. As we've prayed, we both came to the conclusion that God's saying, hey, where are you going? I've planted you in rolling meadows. You've raised your kids in this community. You know these people. Why do you think you need to go somewhere else to minister? We went, okay. All right. It seems like God's saying, stay here. All right. So now what, God? Year and a half ago, I had a fight with God. Because I have come to the conclusion that God shows me what I should do when only when I say I'm all in. Like, I'm all in. Whatever you want, I'm there. And so we've been praying, what does this next season look like, God? And it seems like God has been quiet. And so there, there can be some frustration. I think about the 400 silent years. Like, okay, God, we're available. I, I just need to know how we should start moving. And it dawned on me that God was waiting for me to say I'm all in. And there was a week a year ago last summer where I just went, okay, God, I'm 98% in. 98% is really good, isn't it, God? And what I was saying is the 2% is the veto power. God, you show me what you want us to do, and I'm in. With the exception that I have a veto vote that I can overrule and go, what else you got? Now, that may sound humorous, but that was the battle going on in me because I am afraid. I have a feeling you experience this as well. On a Friday night, Kathy was out and I was riding my bike and I was just riding through rolling meadows and praying. And I knew that I had been fighting with God for about four days in this, are you ready to follow completely, almost? And we were at a a stalemate of like, "I'll, I'll wait. And I finally got to a point where I went, okay, why aren't I ready to say I'm all in? Well, I know why. Because then you tell me, and then i got to do it. And that night, I just said, okay, God. I'm scared, but I'm tired of fighting. I'm all in. Sight unseen. I don't know what this looks like, but I'm in. And within minutes... It felt like the windows of heaven opened up and God started sharing. Think about this. Think about this. What if you did this? What if I called you here? And I'm like, oh. oh." And and all of a sudden I had all kinds of questions like, God, 
you know we're in a pandemic. This involves people like I can't. He's like, not your problem. Not your problem. You come though, right? I'm like, I'm in. He says, I'll take care of it. Just prepare. What about this? Not your problem. I'm God. You do what I call you to. Okay. I don't know how to do this, God. Not your problem. Prepare and just keep following me. I can tell you there was great joy in my heart that night. There was fear, but there was an excitement. Why? Because God was calling me to do something. I came home and I said, Kath, buckle up. I think God's moving. There was excitement on both of us. I still don't know how we'll get from here to there. But I do believe that God is moving. His kingdom is moving. Now, here's how I want to end this morning. Because you could go, oh, Mark, that's amazing. It is. It's exciting. It's something I've experienced in my life and I share. But here's the thing. Why don't I respond that way all the time? Because I still fight God. You would think, oh, Mark, like you see God move like that, you got to be just like, okay, God, all the time, every time, I'm in. And I go, no, no. I keep, I keep falling back to who's king. You see, that veto power, it seemed like, oh, that's only 2%, right? I'm giving God 98%. I'm only 2%, so he's the king. I'm not. The reality is, I was the king. Because I said, God, you make all your plans, but I get the final word. I am the king. I think John is saying, no, 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 no. You need to prepare because the kingdom of heaven has a king, and it's not you. It's Jesus. And we live in the now, but not yet. Maybe you go, I have repented. I have turned towards God and I find that I keep fighting that battle and I keep getting off course. Me too. Because we live in the now and not yet. There will be a day when the kingdom of God is fully realized. Where God is supreme in everything. Where everything falls under his rule. We see it when we look back in Genesis at the creation before the fall and how beautiful that was. We look to the other end and we see it in Revelation when God's kingdom is fully established and how beautiful that is. But right now we live between the cross and that day and we live in the now but not yet. And so we live in among broken, fallen, sinful people. And we are broken, fallen, sinful people. And our hearts, our sin nature, constantly want to pull us in directions opposing the king. I love the song, the hymn, that that has this line in it. Prone to wander, Lord. I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Anybody else feel that tension? I feel it every day. Just when I think I'm in stride with the Holy Spirit, I feel it every day. Prone to wander, Lord. 
because I am a broken, fallen man. And so this, this call of John is a call I go, we need to listen to every day. It's a call to repent every day. It's a call to say, hey, God, where am I off course every day? God, what do I need to do to track with you every day? God, what is in me that keeps you from being king every day? And I have to admit, that scares me often. But here's the thing. This one that John is talking about, that he is not worthy to carry his sandals. He's not going to baptize with water. He's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. That part of God that is in us, that indwells us, that is the one that illuminates the word that says, this doesn't align with your God. This isn't what you're called to. The one that is our counselor, that helps us to understand, that even gets us to a point where we're fighting God, goes, hey, who's king? You are God. I would tell you, in the fight, it felt like, this is just a little thing, God. And yet it was everything, because I was claiming that I was king. This Holy Spirit gives you the power to even desire these things. The king has made us his children, his citizen, and empowered us by his spirit to follow. I would encourage you this week. Are you prepared for the kingdom of God? Do you want the kingdom of God to rule in your life? Do you want to be a citizen of the king? of the kingdom? Do you want to be a child of the king? What keeps him from being king in your life? As John says, y'all, we all are called to be a part of God's kingdom in the now, but not yet. Let's pray. Father God, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Father, I thank you for Jesus who came to make us right with you, Heavenly Father. To present himself as the king, but a king that sacrificed for his servants king that made relationship with the Father possible because of Jesus' righteousness. A king that baptized in the Holy Spirit so that the very God of the universe indwells us. Father, help us not to hear the lies that say that we are condemned because of our sin, but we are made right in Christ Help us to confess, repent, submit to the king, and turn towards the God we love. I ask these things in Jesus' name.